Hey, take out your Bibles, please. If you, if you normally are here on Wednesday nights, um, or if you're not, we go through the Old Testament verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Um, we're currently in the book of Job, except we're not going to be there tonight. I'll explain perhaps, maybe, at the end. But if you take out your Bibles with me tonight and open it up to the book of Acts, the book of Acts, and we're going to be in chapter 9 this evening, and while you're doing that, I just, um, those of you who don't know, know me, haven't been here a long while, don't, don't know kind of where I come from, um, and even those who have been for a while, um, I, I am just totally blessed to be the pastor at Calvary Chapel Surprise. And I have to be honest with you, because I, I, there's really no other way to say this, it really makes no sense. It really doesn't. I, um, I, I, was, I was raised in a Christian home. My parents are just so blessed to have Christian parents who, who brought me up with a, a Christian foundation. I can remember, as long, as long as I can remember, I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that Jesus died for me. I knew that I was forgiven because of the blood that was shed for me on the cross by my Lord and Savior. And I've known that my whole life. Blessed for that. There was a time after I got through high school, got off into college, and, and I turned and I ran from the Lord. I had, I had an extended time of, of prodigal years. But the Lord did not give up on me. The Lord did not let me go. He pursued me. Um, after, after I met my wife and, and, and were married, uh, the Lord used some circumstances in our lives to bring me to that point of absolute brokenness before him. I repented and I, I came back to the Lord and he gave me such a hunger and an appetite for his word and, and to just get into it and just discover more and more and more about him. And uh, through that process, through that time, I had, I had had a time where I was very successful in business. I was in sales. I was doing very well with that. The Lord actually called. And it was very clear to us that we were, I was supposed to leave the, the job that I had. I was working for a large corporation and, and doing very well and go and start our own business. And I started selling hot tubs here in Arizona, hot tubs, and sold a lot of them. Um, and again, God blessing the business. And, and uh, through that time, and again, I, when I came back to the Lord, I said, Lord, my life is yours. It's, it's all for you, whatever you want. Um, kind of gave him that blank sheet of paper and said, okay, Lord. And for a while, that meant, you know, yeah, our business was blossoming. I dedicated the business to the Lord. But right after we made the decision to move into a large store, huge showroom down on, uh, right on I-10 and the 101, big space, the market crashed. And within a year, we lost everything. And, you know, it was, it was during that time, again, the Lord even drew me closer to himself. And through all of that, and I won't spend a lot of time even explaining all that, there's some amazing stories in all of that. But bottom line through it, I realized that this was the will of God for us. And through that uh, the, came the call for me to come on staff here as an assistant pastor, the church I was an elder prior to. And, and then uh, six years ago, the Lord called me into being the senior pastor here. And like I said, it really makes no sense. I get asked all the time, where'd you go to seminary? Um, didn't. <laughs> where, where, you know, where did you do your studies? Um, across the street in my office. I just finished a little while ago, and I'm going to tell you what I learned today. You know, and, and that's just the way God has, has done things here. And it's really, it, like I said, it really makes no sense. 
And I, I, I say that and I, I hope that again, it makes a little more sense here in a little while as to why I'm sharing that at the beginning. But tonight, I wanna talk to you about a couple of uh, heroes of mine, perhaps, if, if you would, in, in the Bible. Because I remember growing up, the superheroes that I had, you know, that, you know, those ones that we looked up to as kids, you know, and Superman and Batman and Spider-Man. And the problem is you get a little bit older and you realize, well, that's not real. <laughs> and, and it doesn't matter how much I try, you know, I, I don't have a billion dollars like, like Batman and I didn't come from another planet like Superman and I hate spiders. So I've... <laughs> Really, and all of that stuff is made, but there's so many great heroes in the Bible. And the amazing thing about that is it's true. And it's real. And one of those that we look at tonight, if you would follow along with me, and, and it's, it's the Apostle Peter, chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. It says, now as Peter was traveling through all those regions, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydia. And there he found a man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years for he was paralyzed. The word is very clear there, paralyzed, unable to walk. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and make your bed. <laughs> Immediately he got up. And all who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Peter did this amazing thing. He spoke. He said, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up. And he got up. And notice who gets all the credit. Peter didn't start St. Peter's International Healing Ministry. <laughs> it is the Lord Jesus gets all of the credit. They turned to the Lord. They didn't turn to Peter. Verse 36, now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. I don't know about you. I'm going with Tabitha. But <laughs> this woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room. And all the, window, all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas used to make while she was with them. Verse 40, but Peter sent them all out and he knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes and when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and raised her up and calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. It became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. I read stories like that, and I, again, realizing this is, this is not allegory. This is history, and here's a man of God, Peter, used by God in unbelievable ways. I mean, just, I, like I said, I love Peter. I just, I feel like in so many ways I can relate to Peter. He's on my Mount Rushmore, if you would, of faith. And another one is, is, is Elijah. I love, I love the story of Elijah. When we go to Israel, it's usually on our first day of touring that, that we go on up to Mount Carmel and we're, we're up on top there and, we, and we, where the battle with the prophets of Baal took place. 
You know the you know the story. I mean, Elijah is standing alone. The, the entire country has rejected God, has turned their back on God. They've started worshiping. They followed the king Ahab and the queen Jezebel in worshiping Baal. Horrific idolatry that is going on, and Elijah stands up to them and he says, "We're going to have a contest." We are, gonna, we are going to set it up to where we each set up an altar. We each uh, sacrifice an ox on it. We'll, we'll put the, the offering there. And whichever God answers by fire, that is the true and living God. And guys, the stakes of this was the loser dies. This is sudden death competition here, literally. And you know, I just, one of the things that I love, that just the subtleties in the story, but Elijah says, guess what? You go first. If it's a sudden death football game and you win the coin toss, you letting them get the ball first? No way, right? But Elijah says, you go first. Because he, he knew. He knew what was going to happen. He knew the outcome. Well, bottom line, they, they go, and sure enough, Baal doesn't answer with fire. Nothing happens. They go all, all day long, and nothing happens. Now it's Elijah's turn. And he builds the altar, and he puts the wood, and he, he cuts up the ox. He puts it on there. And then he says, hey, bring, bring buckets of water. Dump it on it. Oh, more, more, three times, filled up this moat of water around it, and then he prays and calls down fire out of the sky, takes up the entire thing, stones, wood, ox, water, the whole thing, and God answers like that, and again, it's just like, wow, what a man of faith. What an amazing, again, superhero. I mean, I, I think of these guys, and again, I, I, my mind goes a little bit, but man, I gotta think under those robes, there's capes. I mean, these guys... These guys are, are, they blow away any Superman, Batman, Spider-Man. But listen to the, what the word tells us in James chapter 5 concerning Elijah. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly and it, that it would not rain and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again and the sky poured rain and the earth produced its fruit. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Now, I don't know about you, but what that story I just described doesn't describe my nature. I already confessed to you, I'd have taken the ball instead of kicking off. What nature were we speaking of? Well, guys, we have the same limitations. I, Elijah had the same limitations you and I do. He had the, the same weaknesses. The same deficiencies that you and I do in our flesh, the same imperfections, the same shortcomings. It's not long after we read of that victory on top of Mount Carmel that, that Queen Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. And he goes running and running and running and running because of fearing for his life. He gets to the point where he's crying out to God, I'm the only one left. <laughs> Ever feel that way? That doesn't sound like this hero up on top of the hill and all of a sudden he's feeling sorry for himself and the whole thing. The same, the same limitations that you and I have. God chooses to use men and women that have great limitations, that have, that have, a, that have a human nature, but that are willing to be used by God. And when we go back to the beginning, you don't know, see, it doesn't, Elijah doesn't just come out of the woodwork and go up on top of Mount Carmel. No, God prepares him for that moment. 
And we see it all the way back to the beginning, and it's in 1 Kings chapter 17. If you want to look that up later and read the whole story, it's several chapters, but beginning in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see right away that he, he responded to the call of God. He heard God's voice, and he responded. He says right away in, in verse 1 of chapter 17, when he goes to King Ahab, he says, as sure as the God before whom I stand reigns, it's not, it's not going to rain again until I say it's going to rain. And later on in chapter 18, he even says that as he's praying to, the, praying to God out loud so that everybody can hear, I only do what you've told me to do. So Elijah hears from God. God, God heard Elijah because Elijah first heard God. And, and so we see that, not only, but not only responding in prayer, but stepping out in faith. He, he heard the word of God, but then Elijah stepped out in faith. He was obedient even though that first step was a big one, even though that first step, again, didn't make a whole lot of sense, but he stepped out in faith because that first step was go to go to the king and say, it's not going to rain until I say it's going to rain again. And then it says in verse 2, then God told him step 2. Again, huge step of faith. And then as we continue to read through, through chapter 17, we see not only that first, that first step of faith, but then his faith was stretched. Several things that we read of in that chapter that, that God told him to go out into the middle of the wilderness and that he would have the ravens bring food for him and that he would drink water from the brook. And miraculously, God did that day after day after day. Interesting, again, the words that are used there. He went to the brook Cherith. Cherith means cutting. He had to go through a period of time where God was cutting things away from him. Again, he, he's learning to trust in the Lord in, in everything. During that time, the brook dried up. He's out in the middle of nowhere. The brook dries up. Why did the brook dry up? It wasn't raining. Why wasn't it raining? Because he prayed that it would stop raining. You ever pray for things and then later on wonder why? God, why is this happening? Why am I in this dark time? Why am I in this dry time? And, and if the Lord would just speak right through back to us, it says, because you prayed, you wanted to be more like me. You said you wanted to be used by me. God does those things, the time of cutting, the time of refining. The next stop after, after the brook Cherith is Zarephath, and that literally means refining. God takes Elijah through these processes as, as he goes to that Mount Carmel experience. Guys, bottom line, we have the same limitations, but we also have the same opportunities. God allows these things in our lives to develop us as well. Would you turn with me to 2 Peter? Because again, my main focus tonight is, is with Peter. Because, again, we see Elijah being used in great ways by God through this because even though he had a nature like ours, limitations, the opportunities that are given to him are, are those that are also available to us. And I mentioned that Zarephath means refining. Listen to what Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's start verse 1. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. 
seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Guys, not only do we have the same limitations and the same opportunities, but we have the same access. Notice in these first four four verses that we look at, he speaks of divine power. The same divine power that that came to Elijah, that came to Peter, is available to us. The same, notice we talked about the, the, the human nature that we share with Elijah, but notice also in verse four, the divine nature that is available to us. The divine promises that are spoken of here. Guys, all of that again, available to us. And I, I want to focus back though into verse one, because again, remember the, the story that we read about with Peter. And the faith that it took to, to, to say to that man, get up and walk, and to say to Tabitha, rise. Notice verse 1, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours. When we're talking about the nature of Elijah, again, we talked about that nature being the same kind. A faith, the same kind as ours. What is, how, I don't know again about you, but I... That I struggle with that. Understand, what is, it, what is he talking about with the fact that the faith, the same kind as that? Well, what helps me understand it is, is again, let's, let's think of something else that we have in kind with someone else. Like, like um, you know what I have in the same kind as Arnold Schwarzenegger? My bicep. Why are you laughing? <laughs> it's the same kind. What's the difference? His is bigger and stronger. Why? And it's not steroids. <laughs> That's not the answer I'm looking for. <laughs> it's because he exercises it more. It's because he has put it through much more strenuous exposure than I have. The point that, that makes a muscle like that is to where, when it is stretched and strained and even torn to the point of exhaustion. The breaking down and the building up of the muscle tissue. And guys, I challenge us all tonight that the same is true with our faith. The, the, even the, the tearing down, the building back up the, the, to the point of exhaustion. I think part of the problem with, with myself and, and all of us probably, if we're honest, the problem is we give up way too soon. We stop in the middle of the process. I can remember many years ago, I had a, a really good friend of mine who actually, in addition to a, a full-time job that we worked at together, was also a professional bodybuilder. It's actually on the cover of Muscle Magazine one time. I mean, the guy was just ripped. And I made the big mistake of working out with him one time. And I'll tell you, he, he was, and again, he wouldn't let me quit. He was in my face screaming when I thought, there is no way I can do another set of curls. He is just in my face screaming at me and going, going, going. And it got to the point where I have never, way beyond what I thought my limitations were with my muscles. A couple of days later, not joking, I could not brush my teeth. I literally could not pick up my toothbrush to get it up to my mouth. <laughs> I never worked out with him again. But my point is, 
we stop short so often in where God is calling us to, to get to, where, where he, is, he is stretching our faith. He is getting to that point, and, and he, he, he wouldn't let Peter get short of this. Because when we, when we look at Peter's life, we look at, at the, 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 the history that is shown to us. The first time he meets Jesus, Jesus changes his name. Tells him, he gives him a different name. Why? Because Jesus knew there was something more for him. And the rest of the time that we see Jesus working with Peter, he is training him. He is preparing him because Jesus knows what's coming for Peter. Like Elijah, Peter heard God. Jesus said to him, follow me. And it took a huge step of faith to respond in that. Because Peter was a fisherman. And Peter, that's, that's how he made his livelihood. That's how he, was, that's how he supported his family, was, was in the fishing trade. And we, we see that the first couple of times he's meeting with Jesus, you know, that we, that he's, he's, not, he's mending his nets. They've been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. Follow me. And, and later, it, it tells us then, he, Jesus said, well, you, you cast your nets back out. And Peter's like, yeah, okay, you're the preacher. I'm the fisherman. We've been fishing all night. Gonna, but because you said, I'll do it. Biggest haul of fish he's ever taken in. But he walked away from that. He walked away from that to follow Jesus, this step of faith. And every step after that, following Jesus, was stretching his faith even more. Beyond even his limitations that he thought were even possible. We see, we see example after example of that, but just a couple. You know the story when, when Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake, and, and the disciples get in, and they get out into the middle of the lake, and the storm that comes up so much, they think they're going to die. All of the disciples think they're going to die, including Peter. I remind you, Peter grew up on that lake, fishing on that lake, had seen every storm that it could ever throw at him. This storm was way bigger. He thought, he thought they were going to die. They wake Jesus up. Jesus calms the storm. Oh, stretched to the point of, of exhaustion. But his faith strengthened in that. So much so that a, a, a little while later, another, again, out in the middle of the, of, the, of the Sea of Galilee, storm raging, lightning crashing, waves coming, Jesus walking on the water. What does Peter do then? Hey, Jesus, if that's you, Command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. He jumps out of the boat. He's walking on the water until he takes his eyes off of Jesus. Again, a learning lesson. He starts to go down. Jesus, save me. He pulls him out. And it tells us then that they go back. Jesus said, where's, where's your faith? What happened? And they get into the boat. And I don't know how you see that. Because if you're in a time in your life where, where you've you failed, you, you haven't lived up to what you feel God, God has called you to, oftentimes we can beat ourselves up and the enemy says, man, you just, you, just, you just totally blew it. Go sit in the back of the boat and think about what you did. But that's not the heart of Jesus. It's not recorded for us, and I might be stretching this way but a, a long ways, but I got a feeling that Jesus sat down next to Peter, put his arm around him, and said, dude, you were walking on water. But you took your eyes off me. Next time, 
don't forget that. You keep looking to me. When it gets hard and when it gets crazy and when stuff starts, don't look at the, don't look at the storm, look at me. He did the impossible. You know, as, as his faith grew, so did his confidence. He was already a confident guy, very overconfident. And before the disciples went out to Gethsemane, Jesus was talking of what was going to come. And, and Peter said, I'm ready. I am ready to go to prison or even death with you, Lord. And Jesus said, no, you're not ready yet. Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. Hmm. Sift you like wheat. I guess one thing that we have to, we have to, if we want to be used like this and we want to understand these lessons and we want to keep moving forward and we want to be used in great and mighty ways by God, and I don't have any doubt about that because you guys are here on Wednesday night. I mean, I talk about you, I brag about you Wednesday night guys all the time. I mean, you could be doing a whole lot of other stuff on Wednesday night, but you're here and you're, you're, you're taking in the word of God. So I know it's your heart, it's your desire to be used by God. That's why you're here. I get that. So understand this. Like Peter, understand that if there's two things you always have to keep in mind if you want to be used like this expect God's hand on you but also expect the enemy's hand against you he's not just going to sit back and say okay cool matter of fact Peter himself will later write your adversary not mine he said yours all of us your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour he's relentless the enemy is and he demanded to sift Peter like wheat. And sifting was a process of, of tossing wheat into the air so that the wind would blow the chaff away. And it's sifting it out. And, and bottom line, Peter was sifted until all that was left. He was blown through the wind until all that was left that he could hang on was his faith. But guys, that was enough. That was enough. Jesus said, Satan's demanded to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What were the chances that his faith was going to fail? Zero. It was going to be stretched beyond any other, any other exercise to this point, but it did not fail because Jesus says, when? Not if, when, once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And I believe he said it in such a way that he said, as only you're going to be able to then. You're not ready yet, Peter, but you will be. Are you in a really tough spot right now? Are you in one of those places where you really feel like your faith is stretched to the absolute maximum? Like you can't take one more little bit. And you might even be crying out, God, get me out of this. And I believe that he would respond to you, you don't know what you're asking. You need this. You need this to prepare you for what I have for you. But I'm praying for you that your faith would not fail. 
we know, the Bible tells us that he lives to make intercession for you and I as believers. This wasn't, he wasn't just praying for Peter then. The Bible tells us that he lives to make intercession for us, praying that our faith wouldn't fail. No matter what it is that he allows us to go through, he promised he'll never allow us to go to, to face something that we can't handle in his strength. And he promised he'll go through it with us. Peter, after all of this, and that's why I love reading Peter's letters, because when we look at the life that he lived and everything that he'd been through, he knows what he's talking about when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 6, in this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He understood what it meant to be distressed by various trials. He understood what it meant to have your faith proven. And that, speaking of their tested by fire, that same process of taking precious metals through the, through the fire, through the intense heat, so that they can remove the dross from the top and have the pure metal, the pure gold underwards. Peter understood all of that. Now fast forward. A couple of years, and here we have this same guy, now filled with the Holy Spirit, as we see in Acts chapter 1, alone in an upper room with Tabitha, and she's dead. Impossible situation. We see this amazing miracle that takes place because of the faith that, that he had. So, so what about us? What about, what about us here now? We've, we see that they have a nature like ours. We have a faith like theirs. Okay, we embrace that. And I guess that's where I, I kind of come back to this because I mentioned, I, I, I love Peter because I see so many kind of parallels, if you would. I'm a very impulsive person. Ready, fire, aim. Peter, very much like that. I mentioned to you that, that I, I'm a failed hot tub salesman. I successfully turned a, a lot of money into nothing. Peter... For, and, I, and I might get in trouble someday. I, Peter might be waiting for me up there because I've, I've shared this as part of my testimony before and why I feel so much like Peter. But Peter wasn't a very good fisherman. Every time we read about him fishing and Jesus asking him how they did, he said, I got nothing. Fished all night. If it wasn't for Jesus telling him how to do it, every time, by the way, even with a hook, he had to tell him how to fish too. Not just where. And I, I come back to our story here again because here's Peter in the room and it tells us he sends everybody out of the room and then he says that he prays. But it doesn't tell us what he prayed. I think there's a reason for that. I think that there's a lot of times with those prayers they're not recorded for us because we think there'd be some kind of formula. And again, I am, please, 
I, I just, this is, this is how I envision the prayer because I put myself right there with Peter. This is how I think the prayer goes. I get down on my knees and I say, now what? This, may I remind you, Lord, that this was your idea to put a failed hot tub salesman in this position. I remind him of that a lot. Because this doesn't make any sense. And here's Peter. I saw you do this once, Lord, but now what? Can I just remind you that <laughs> I'm a failed fisherman, that you just happened to call out of that and, and do this. Now what? Well, I just I love how the Lord has ministered to me in in my time through this and and helping me to to understand again the calling for me personally. I pray it blesses you because I know I'm not alone in this. A verse that I've kind of claimed as my own for quite a while is 1 Timothy 1:12 and it says I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful putting me into service. And I have to tell you, for the most part, that verse, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has strengthened me, putting me into service, that I owned. The part I always struggled with where it says is because he considered me faithful. Because, again, I don't understand that. I consider him faithful. He's a faithful God. He, is, he can't be anything but faithful. I heard a statement one time that has just stuck with me. God's past faithfulness demands my present trust. He's always faithful. That I own that. I love that. And it talks about the fact that God is a faithful God. That's mentioned many times in the New Testament. It also calls him a faithful high priest, a faithful witness. Even in Revelation, he's called faithful and true. That describes him. But if you're in 2 Peter chapter 1, would you turn back just one page, it might even be on the previous page right there, to 1 Peter chapter 4. Again, this is Peter writing this. Verse 19, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls, note, to a faithful creator in doing what is right. This is the only time in the New Testament those two, that's put together. Faithful creator. Faithful creator. Guys, do you realize that, that that's, it, that's huge? <laughs> that's a powerful statement. He's a faithful creator. Jesus, Jesus in, the, in, in the New Testament, it's recorded for us in the Gospels. He said, count the cost. He used that as an illustration. Nobody's going nobody's to go out and, and build, this, build, a, build a building and, and not count the cost. Because then if you lay the foundation, you're not going to be able to continue and you'll look foolish. Guys, he's not going to look foolish. He knows what he's doing. And if he's a faithful creator, guys, that's why he considered me faithful. Because he created me. He says, you didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that lasts. Paul, Paul writes that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God is a faithful creator. 
He is the one who, who created each and every one of us. He's the one who has gifted each and every one of us. He's the one who knows everything about each and every one of us. He's the one who knows what each one of us needs. And he's the one who has called us and placed us. None of us are here by accident. None of us are here and called by God as a mistake. Guys, we are called to do the impossible. What God has called and tasked each one of us to do is an impossible task. Because we're called, Peter, we read about Peter's, the miracle that Peter did, raising this, this girl from the dead. Physically, God has called you and I to partner with bringing people to life from the dead spiritually, which is an even greater miracle. And God has called us and allowed us to be a part of that. We looked at Elijah's miracle and bold faith standing up against the prophets of Baal as the, as the, the entire nation of Israel had turned its back on God. Guys, you and I are called to take the gospel to a culture that has completely rejected Jesus. That's impossible. I, the, the, we, we, could, we can't possibly do that in and of ourselves. That's why the Bible says that our weapons are, are supernatural. They're not carnal. We face a spiritual enemy in this. Is, is anybody here tonight feeling like, like they're in a situation that they, they, they can't get out of? They just, they're, they're buried in it? Anybody feel that at all? Couple? Anybody feel like you're facing something that's impossible? The task that God has laid on you is impossible? A few more. Well, here, I, I have some good news and some bad news. I'll start with the bad news. It's way worse than you think. You don't, you don't even know the beginning of it. You just, you just know the tip of it. But here's the good news. Here's the great news, guys. You were made for this. God created you for this. This isn't a mistake. You aren't in this over your head. God created you for this. If you don't have it, you don't need it. If you need it, you have it. Flex it. If you don't see it, if you don't feel it, if you don't understand it, trust it. Jesus went to a synagogue one day, and there was a man who had his hand shriveled all up, and it was because it had been that way his whole life. And Jesus said to him, stretch out your hand. His response could have been, I can't. If I could have done that, I'd have done it a long time ago. But instead, he stretched out his hand. Because Jesus said to you, it's impossible. I can't stretch out my hand. Guys, when God says to do it, if we say I can't, it's not, it's not because of inability. It's because, it's because of unwillingness. We're made for this. And we're not alone. We're not alone. The enemy would like us to feel like we're all alone, that we're in this, this whole thing without, <laughs> without any help. Guys, we're not alone. We need to encourage one another in this. We are here for such a time as this. None of us are here by accident. 
We're in Surprise, Arizona in 2018 for a purpose. And the mission is impossible. It's mission impossible. But we were created for it. We were made for it. And we simply need to walk in it. The trials and difficulties that we go through, the stretching and straining of our faith are preparing us for the next step. But then through it all, again, like Peter, God gets the glory. And when the world sees around and he sees what he's doing in and through us, we point everybody to him. He gets the glory. So be encouraged. No matter how difficult it may be and no matter how impossible that next step looks, be encouraged. Be encouraged. Would you please pray with me? Lord, you are an amazing and awesome God. Thank you for the examples that you've preserved for us in your word. Way better than any comic book superhero, Lord, we look at these men and women of great faith in your word, and we realize because your word tells us that that they have a nature just like ours, no different. And they have the f- a faith, the same kind as ours. The only difference is, Lord, they allowed you to stretch their faith to the point of, to the point of absolute exhaustion. Lord, it was never done haphazardly, always with a purpose because you have a great plan. You have a a great purpose. You have impossible things that you need done. You choose to use us in that. So Lord, we we come to you tonight and we thank you for, for calling us. We've heard your call. Lord, we thank you for for allowing us to take that step of faith. But Lord, now we ask you, Lord, would you stretch our faith? Stretch us, Lord, to the point where we're, 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 we're totally uncomfortable even, Lord, because we trust you. That you will never allow us to be tempted or tested or tried beyond what we are able. Lord, through it all, you get the glory. Have your way in us. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.